Nate approaches coaching and training with an enthusiastic intensity, always willing to step outside his comfort zone and get uncomfortable. Hello and welcome to the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Sillis. On this week's episode, I'm really happy to be joined by Nate Palin. Nate is a professional strength and conditioning coach and army veteran, having served seven years in 2nd Ranger Battalion. He's the director of education for FitOps Foundation, a nonprofit organization committed to improving the physical and mental health of veterans by creating purpose and community through the power of fitness. Nate began his coaching career in 2010 as the owner of The Movement Project, an entrepreneurial personal training effort that narrowed his focus to tactical strength and conditioning as a performance specialist for Exos in Washington, D.C. in 2012. Nate coached Special Operations Forces at Joint Base Lewis-McChord from 2015 to 2018 before managing the National Strength and Conditioning Association's tactical program. Over the course of five combat deployments in support of Operations Enduring and Iraqi Freedom, and as a special operations and tactical performance expert, Nate experienced the military's performance shortcomings firsthand, observing the need for enhanced physical training to better support mission-critical tasks. Nate believes that through adventure, performance, and discomfort, relentless growth and learning can be fostered. As the Director of Education at FitOps Foundation, Nate's mission is to train and equip veterans in and out of the classroom to be certified veteran fitness operatives. Nate's personal experience within the fitness and human performance communities is tied tightly with his role at FitOps, facilitating a continuum of coaching opportunities for veterans seeking a renewed purpose. In addition to coaching and his role at FitOps Foundation, Nate is a speaker, author, rapper, and father of one. He's the co-author of Preparing for the Army Combat Fitness Test for Human Kinetics and the NCA, and he's an adjunct professor for Cal U Penn's graduate program in tactical strength and conditioning. In this episode, Nate talks about why he decided to pursue a military career, and specifically within the Ranger Regiment, his thoughts on training and how he's seen the strength and conditioning field evolve, and his role as Director of Education at FitOps Foundation and how they're serving and empowering veterans. Good afternoon, Nate, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Hey, man, no problem. Thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule, dude. As I was saying to you earlier, you're a guy who's been on my list I wanted to chat to for a while, and obviously it's been backed up by former guests who said, if there's anyone I need to speak to, it's yourself. So thank you very much, man. I'm glad we could get diaries lined up so we could sit down and record this today. Yeah, absolutely. I got to say, my, my biggest strength is, is my network, and I think you've already had a good amount of it on. So I don't know what more I can provide you, but I'll do my best. Hey, man. Everyone's got their own interpretation, their own story, mate. So I'm keen to hear your side of things, dude. So obviously, like I've been following your career for a bit, and you know you're quite established in the, the tactical strength conditioning community. Uh, for anyone who hasn't come across you and the work you've done, can you just give us a little bit of a background of you know where your career started out and you know where you're currently at? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to give the short version because it's definitely kind of long and colorful, and I've I've got a very random background that led me to where I am um, with the kind of a common theme of not truly being qualified enough to be anywhere that I am or the title that I have, but um, you know, started out as an army ranger. So did that for about four years, went to college for three at Butler university, uh, pursuing a mark marketing degree, did a couple of, you know, what were supposed to be phenomenal internships there. And really what they did was kind of expose me to a business world that at the time I didn't really care to be in. So abandoned ship, went back into the military, uh, did another three in rangers and, um, at that point, I kind of, I don't like to say had my fill, but I, I reprioritized and, you know, was looking to start up a family and, and just didn't want to balance that with deployments. Uh, the folks who can are, are unbelievable, but I just didn't think that I could really, could really handle that. So instead, I, I got out again with no clue in the world what to do with my life. I knew I needed to finish up uh, school, you know, and, and start kind of figuring out what to do. So I decided to start personal training as kind of a way to make money while I figured out a way to make money. And um, I guess I'm still figuring it out because I'm still in that kind of human performance world here. Shoot, we're coming up on 11 years later. So um, opened up my own business, did a little bit of personal training and finished up my degree, just finished it up online in business management um, with some great advice from a gentleman named Darcy Norman. Have you had Darcy on this? podcast no i haven't yet definitely a, a name to write down uh he used to be with roma now he's with u.s men's national team but he he's also a part of kitman labs and has eight eight billion things going on at any given time but he's brilliant so 
Um, he, he mentored me really um, back before I had any idea. Well, not that I have an idea now, but what I was doing. And his advice was, hey, just get school done, get your CSCS. And the most important thing, coach your butt off. And so that's what I started doing, opened up my own business, coaching morning, noon and night, uh, you know, six, seven days a week and just trying to build up some coaching chops. And then on the side, start to kind of gather some, some certifications and, and some credibility, you know, through that front. So did that for a couple of years, got kind of on what they called at the time, the war board for athletes performance for prospective coaches for tactical applied to a position with the department of defense in Washington DC area. And uh, got very, very lucky, lucky to be honest. I, I definitely, I literally did not qualify for the position. Um, but I guess I had an attractive background with some of the military component um, as well as some clearances that I had held. So that gave me a bit of a leg up and they invited me out for an interview. Interview went extremely, extremely well. And I spent three or so, actually probably two years um, out there. Ended up moving back to the Pacific Northwest uh, for family reasons and reopened my business um, actually because I could not get a job with um, the special forces community out there in Washington state. And then a year into that, I jumped on something called Exos Presents. So formerly Athletes Performance and they did an Exos Presents Tactical and joined forces with Rob Hartman who was a coach at the group where I was trying to get a job that, that wouldn't have me. So uh, he got to know me and I, and I guess um, for whatever reason, we either still, still like each other or still hate each other, but he invited me down for a training session Went down to first group to lift some weights. And uh, next thing I know, the door closes behind me, sitting there, slaps in a chair and sweaty clothes. And they're like, I hope you're ready for an interview. So um, I, I interviewed there on the spot and they hired me there on the spot. Um, the late uh, Jared Orich was the head coach down there. And I started up two weeks later. So I shut down that business or maybe I kept it on the side for some remote training folks and uh, coached at, at first group there for three years was, I think it's, I still think that that is the single best job in tactical uh, strength and conditioning period on the planet is to be a coach uh, at first group there. And they just have a phenomenal, phenomenal staff going on, a lot of buy-in and, um, and, a, and a great team to be a part of. So I was not looking to leave and certainly wasn't ready. I got a couple of random calls uh, from some folks. So I guess who put my name in the hat with Tyler Christensen for the NSCA program manager for their tactical program. And I thought I'd just entertain the interview for the sake of entertaining it. I was finishing up grad school online. I was renovating a house. I was coaching with an hour commute there and a who knows how long commute home. And, um, and, and suddenly I'm in Colorado Springs for, for an interview with the NSCA and then took that position and uh, finished that renovation real quick and, and found a way down here to Colorado Springs. Um, funny enough, the first day at the NSCA, I have to tell the staff something about myself. And the one thing I shared, uh, and I was kidding, but I was, it, it's true, but I was still kidding, was the fact that I had never really spent more than three consecutive years at any one position or any one, you know, organization. And, um, and I loved, loved, loved my job at the NSCA. It was just incredible because I got to work inside the organization with some great people, but even more so outside of the organization with this amazing community that you know very, very well. Um, all these incredible professionals in tactical strength and conditioning and just strength conditioning at, at large. So was not ready to leave. <laughs> uh, was certainly not looking. And on a, on a Tuesday night, this last, uh, it was maybe August, September, I get a text, I think it's from a vendor. Um, you know, we kind of get hit up a lot from vendors uh, who are wanting the NSCA to, to market them in, in some way, shape or form. So it's like 6.30 PM on a Tuesday, I get this lengthy multi-paragraph, hey, this is so-and-so from FitOps Foundation. And I was kind of like, oh, great, like enough of this. And then moments later, my, my boss, Scott Douglas texts me and he says, hey, I put a gentleman in touch with you from FitOps Foundation named, you know, Matt Hesse is their CEO. I, I think that you guys would, would have a great conversation. And so I say, oh, okay, this person was actually guided to me. So I text him back. We set up a call for a couple of days later. 
I think we set up a 30 minute call. Um, next thing you know, it's 90 minutes later, we're still chatting and it just got, you know, I, I, I thought it was incredible. Um, the concept of fit ops and, and what they were looking to do. You know, I also thought that it was, a, it looked a little bit, you know, better in the marketing than maybe they had going on in real life. And I could sense that Matt was really looking to upgrade and, and suddenly it was in my head and I couldn't sleep. And I'm literally at night, you know, filling dry erase boards with, with ideas. And, uh, and I don't even know a month later, here I am, uh, fit ops kind of out of nowhere, same kind of thing, like closing down shop way too quick at NSCA, trying to move on, trying to, oh, it was, it was tough. It was tough, tough, uh, fast transition. Um, but I'm really glad I made the move and, and this opportunity has been incredible. So that was way longer than I meant to go. However, that is the short version, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome, dude. I mean, really interesting, really diverse career. And then, like you say, how those opportunities present themselves and then just moving around through the different um, the tactical roles as well. Obviously, I want to dive into the little bits of that in a bit more detail, but if we take it back to like your early days, obviously, what was it that uh, you know prompted you to want to pursue a military career and why the Ranger Regiment out of all the, you know, the regiments you have chosen? Sure. Yeah, that's, that's easy. So I, I was set to go to school at Indiana University that kind of like probably since, since my birth, that's where I wanted to go. That's where my mom went to school. And I grew up in New York, a, a diehard uh, Hoosier fan, which is their, you know, their team and um, like literally wearing their, their shirts during warmups for basketball games and things like that. And um was, was totally sure I was going to go there. And quite frankly, I, I did not enjoy the school portion of high school. Um, I, I love the social aspect. I love the sports aspect. And I just didn't care for class. And um, what I really didn't care for, for was homework. In fact, I still don't care for homework. But um, so I just was getting that feeling of like, ah, all this work to go to college and I'm not really feeling it. And I, and I was so far along that I think I'd even maybe even been introduced to who my roommate was going to be already. And so I'm mid, mid senior year, already accepted on my way to IU. And I'm just not feeling like doing work. And my mom comes home and she's like, you know, why aren't you doing your homework? And I don't feel like it. She's like, if you don't do your homework, you're not, you're not going to go to school. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go to school. And she's like, excuse me. And I said, I'm not going to go to school. I'm going to go to the army. I'm going to be a ranger. And once those words left my face, I was like, no turning back now. And, um, you know, the reason I even knew about Rangers was I was reading the book Black Hawk Down. Um, also, I believe it might have been my junior year or senior year, but uh, in Saving Private Ryan came out in the, the theaters. I watched that literally three times in the theaters. Who knows how many times I've seen it since. And so, you know, both of those are, are stories with with Rangers. And so um, it's just really, really attractive to me. I also read some SEAL books, but um, it seemed to me that I could kind of get into the fight quicker by going the Ranger route. Um, although there was no fight to be had at the time, this is, you know, uh, 1999. So, so pre nine 11 and, um, yeah, next thing I know I'm off to Georgia. Well, what's the, cause I know you've got Ranger regiment and then you've got guys who from different units who will go through Ranger school. So what was the pipeline like for guys going Ranger regiment? Like how long is that, that training process for you? Good question. So I started, I uh, went down to Georgia in August and by December I had graduated what we call like one station training or something along those lines. So it's where you do basic and advanced training back to back, pretty seamless. Um, you can hardly tell where one ends and the other begins. And so, you know, that's, I guess, about a, you know, four or five month process. I want to say it's like 16 weeks, so four-ish months uh, with some holdover time in advance of that. And then I got a winter break, basic, well, winter break, but a, a, a Christmas break, went home, saw the family right after graduation, which is perfect timing. And then I went back to holdover for airborne school. Mm -hmm. uh, that holdover was a couple of weeks long and then went to airborne school, which I believe is three weeks long. And then after airborne, right into at the time, what was called Ranger indoctrination, which is now called the RASP, uh, Ranger assessment selection process. So 
uh, went to that, which is another three-ish weeks. And I believe it was March or early April where I actually landed in, in Ranger Battalion. So maybe nine months-ish start to finish, um, but that's with a couple of different holdovers within there. So the process could have been a little faster without those. Nice. Um, that gets you to the regiment. Yeah. And so you're in the, you're in the regiment as a, as a private. And then when they feel you're ready, you know, they, they send you to Ranger school. So I went to Ranger school. Uh, I don't even remember exactly when, <laughs> but I, I, well, I should know I, I graduated right after my 21st birthday. So it's actually really cool timing because I had my 21st birthday in, um, Florida phase, which at the time, once you finish Florida phase, you're allowed a couple of beverages at uh, what was the Gator Lounge. I think it burned down and there's a, a new one there, a new a new bar. Um, I've even heard awful stories of maybe they're not even allowed to go there anymore because somebody, it, 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 you know, you'd say somebody ruined it for everybody, but I think really it's the rule makers that ruin it for everybody. Uh -huh. You know, let the exception be the exception and keep, keep it rolling. But um, I, I also remember, I think I drank a half a Bud Light and was like, I'm done, I'm full, I'm done. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, so that was, you know, a couple years through and then um, spent a few years in, in Rangers as a team leader and got out, went to school. And then when I went back, I, I went right back to where I was, which is kind of cool. So I was able to go right back to the same company. My new platoon sergeant had been a squad leader in my previous platoon. Um, a couple of guys, uh, one of my actually best men at my first wedding was still in that platoon. Um, he had done the same as me. He got out and he rejoined. And so when he rejoined and told me how good it was, you know, I was next in line. So. Nice, dude. Nice. And obviously you were saying in the introduction, you spent three years on the back end there back in range regiments as well. Um, so where, where did the interest in strength and conditioning come from? Was that just when you were in regiment or you've always had like a thing for training, like growing up? I mean, I've, I've been a, you know, multi-sport athlete my whole life and, and love training, loved all things physical. Um, I didn't really train per se, like in high school, for example, and I was definitely undersized. You know, my joke is always like, I've been this size since junior high. Um, you know, and I'll say this, I, I entered basic training at 145 pounds and I graduated basic training at 145 pounds. And if that doesn't tell you something's wrong with the process, I don't know what does. Um, and that process has not changed with regard to how they're feeding folks. Um, so, you know, in, in my time in Ranger Battalion, what, what I saw, including myself, were, were fellows who were willing to put a whole lot of time, invest a whole lot of energy into their physicality and really weren't moving the needle as much as we should have been given the amount of time we put in. And everybody was doing it differently based on the strengths of their leadership, right? So you get the leader who loves to swim, you're in the pool if you or, or you're going to be drowning. If you get the leader who, heck, here's one. I had a leader who loved to run backwards. So we used to run backwards for like miles at a time, right? And so if you're lucky, maybe you have a leader that lifts a little bit of weights. And what I saw, you know, during my enlistments were the few times that I did lift, um, it made such a remarkable difference. You know, I'd, I'd hit kind of a plateau, for example, on the push-ups, start bench pressing, which one, I couldn't believe how weak I was because I crushed a PT test because I'm a small dude and it's all relative. And so it was so easy for me to do well on a two-mile run and a push-up sit-up. And then we throw rucks on and guys who I crushed on the PT test were burying me with a rucksack. And so again, like my gears started turning a little bit with, with the idea that something's got to be wrong here. And so when I got out the second time, there were still no coaches in special operations. This is 2010, or at least no coaches at, at second Ranger battalion where I was. And we had uh, an athlete's performance mentorship come and a Jim Jones mentorship come. And so that kind of exposed me to the idea of like, oh, there's like kind of some professional strength and conditioning out there. I didn't even really knew that existed. And then I went to the personal training Institute um, and again, I was really just trying to figure out a way to, to get a side job, a little side hustle to make some cash while I figured out what to do with my life. And some, at some point in that process is when I realized I got it. Well, I opened when I opened my business, I, you know, leased a studio space. And the first day I met a phenomenal coach named Dave Wheeler, a dude who had spent like 20 something years with like Nordstrom and corporate 
and he jumped ship to start coaching and he followed Mike Boyle and he followed Mark Verstegen and he was like, read these books, go get these certifications, go get your FMS, which is where I met Darcy. And he just kind of like, it was very random and lucky um, that he started me on a, on a true path toward professional strength conditioning. So as soon as I learned though, that this like real world existed of pro coaches, I thought I need to bring this back to special operations. And so my ultimate goal was to go back and be a coach at second ranger battalion. That's cool, dude. And I mean, it's interesting hearing your story as well. You're saying, you know, you go out and you initially went back to school, do marketing. And then I think you were saying you did business, um, you did your degree in business as well. Obviously very different to a lot of strength coaches out there who will do like exercise science, kinesiology sort of thing as well. How do you feel that has influenced you like having that diverse business side? Obviously it helps from the PT side of thing, but obviously being a coach, understand that business model, but also like how it's progressed your career now as well. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's a double-edged sword. And in the beginning, I, I considered it a detriment, right? I didn't have the same education that all these other coaches had. But again, a testament to Darcy, what I did have was a lot of floor time and a lot of floor time with an absurdly diverse clientele. I mean, I had only coached for two years in my own business, but I was coaching like 60 hours a week and, you know, literally first session, 5 a.m., closing up shop around nine. And again, even working the weekends. And so I got exposed to a lot of different problem solving and, you know, the degree helped immensely on the business side of the house. And if nothing else, just being comfortable in, in, in that space. So when I'm approaching like doing my own books or setting up my own website or interacting with another professional who's going to do some graphic design or something along those lines. I didn't come at it like a coach. I came at it more like business minded. Um, and so that was, that was certainly helpful, but in the same breath, everywhere I went and everything I did, all of my peers, you know, had extensive exercise science education that I didn't have. And so I've, I still feel that I'm playing catch up. Um, but what you've probably noticed, right. Is most coaches, when they're about 10 years into their career, for example, start really looking at business books and start really looking into psychology and a lot of the things that I had already got exposed to early on. So I just kind of did it all in reverse, I guess. Um, you know, in, in finishing, definitely doing grad school um, and finishing. So I do have a, a master's in exercise science or in kinesiology. So I feel a little bit, you know, more on par with my peers just from purely an educational standpoint. Um, but I think that little bit of a chip on my shoulder will ho hopefully always keep me, you know, pretty humble. And the, this field is filled with people who humble me daily. So <laughs> that's cool, dude. I mean, I, I think it's interesting you say there as well, like, you know, you, you got that time of getting those reps and of coaching on the floor daily with such a diverse range of people as well. And it's one thing I've from my perspective, I say to a lot of young coaches come through who all, you know, want to dive headfirst into performance sports. Like, right, I want to work with athletes, want to work with athletes. Like, yeah, great. But go and coach, you know, the uh, 40, 50, 60 year old mom, you know, um, yep. you know, or the young kids or something like that, because you're going to encounter problems. You're going to get pushback that you wouldn't even expect, you know, and it's just like dealing with different personality types. And still, it's getting those reps in, still coaching. It's just not maybe yes. the client group you want to work with in the end, but it's still a huge, huge thing. You're also getting real reps. You know, I'll say this. I didn't kind of realize the advantage of just having spent all that floor time until I was in D.C. So for my D.C. gig, I had to do part of the interview was in a suit. And then you go Superman in the room and your coaching attire. And I have to take extremely, extremely seasoned coaches who I still uh, put on a pedestal as they deserve to be. Um, and I had to put them through a full on training session. And so I went all out for it. I learned everything I could about them so that I could address specific issues. And I coached them as if like, I mean, cause I was, I was trying to break into, into a career. And once I had been in DC for a while and other folks were coming out to interview, right. Their resumes were insane. It was like, oh, this guy was with the Colts and this college and this school and, and like just these incredible, incredible resumes. And quite honestly, like they couldn't coach us through a warmup because they'd never really been allowed to coach. They've been in these, you know, these internships in these positions, but they weren't given good opportunities there. Um, I, you know, I think that they were just probably fetching water and that type of thing. And obviously not all those positions are created equal, but 
to your point, I think there's just no substitute for being out there with people who are difficult to train and figuring out how to do that effectively. Definitely, definitely, man. I mean, from your coaching standpoint, then as well, what, what's your what's your like your program philosophy or your coaching philosophy? I know you mentioned you know some of the books you were given, especially early on in your career, about like Mark Boyle's stuff, uh, Mark Prestigian's. Um, what what how would you say you approach your coaching side of things now? Yeah, I mean, I'll be a thousand percent honest. Like I, I haven't really coached since first group. Um, but that said, I do a good amount of advising in this space. So it's not like I'm not a coach anymore. But, um, you know, definitely my philosophy is absolutely to meet them where they're at with an understanding of where you need to get them um, and then figure out a way given reality uh, to make that happen. And I think that's, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is if you just think about where you're trying to get them, if you just think about where they are, or you ignore the realistic conditions that you're going to be coaching them in, you're mm-hmm. going to fall short. Um, and so that's kind of, I think what my, you know, the short version of what my philosophy has boiled down to over the years. And um, you know, it's just those three factors and making sure that you, you entertain them all and not just at a moment in time, but continually, you know, as you coach somebody. Obviously you went from being over at first group, was it? And then you made the move over to the NSA as the, uh, yep. the manager of the, the tactical program. What was that move like from going from, you know, practitioner very much, you know, delivering to managing that program? What, what was it like to go corporate and sell out? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, um, I, I'll sum it up in, in with one story. I think it was, you know, my first day there, they've got me here's your A to Z. You're going to go meet this director, this director, this director, this director, we're going to go to lunch and then you're going to go train. And, you know, the whole day is mapped out. So I think it's like my second day there and I'm in this uh, um, office, this killer office actually. And I'm looking over at Matt Thompson, who is the um, associate manager for tactical. And I was like, so what do we do today? And he looks at me, he's like, whatever you want to do today, like you're in charge. And I was like, Oh man. Okay. Like this is a little different. I'm used to, we've got these athletes at six or, you know, these teams at six, these teams at seven, another team at 11 and whatever else it is. And it's, it's, you know, every day, day in and day out, you're coaching. And so to suddenly be in a position where it's totally up to me, the initiative that gets taken and the direction we go and how we start to, um, you know, manage the resources that are afforded us, uh, both within the NSCA building and beyond it. And so, you know, certainly at first, what I did was just try to get the lay of the land. Um, my big kind of joke is, you know, Tyler Christensen, who preceded me, like he was a bulldozer, a bulldozer, and maybe even a bull in a China shop. So, um, and maybe even full of bulls sometimes, but. Uh, <laughs> Tyler's but, a good guy. Know, and, I had the opportunity to chat to him earlier on, um, really sound guy, but yeah, like you say, just, yeah. Oh, I, oh, gosh, I love Tyler. He's, he's awesome. Um, and so he did a, just a, a great job of kind of like making noise and wrecking shop. And, and so, you know, what I always said is like, he, he created all these giant piles of dirt and now it's time to kind of sift through them a little bit and just refine them. And so, you know, in the beginning, we just kind of observed what was already going on and then figured out ways to improve upon it. Um, you know, unfortunately, and I think this is just the way with any A large or B nonprofit organization, especially one with so much member involvement, it's just slow. The NSA is just a very slow organization. Um, and so, you know, the hardest part about leaving is I definitely left with a few major projects, you know, kind of midway. Um, and, and, you know, I remember expressing that to my boss and he said, look, if you left three years from now, you'd still have two, three projects done midway, just be new projects. And so that, that gave me a little bit of peace of mind and hopefully they still, um, you know, use me as a volunteer to, to contribute. That's cool, man. That's cool. And what were, I mean, are you able to chat a little bit about what some of those projects were you're trying to push out and develop? Yeah, absolutely. So the two, um, I'll, I'll give you the two main ones and then I'll, I'll zoom out a little bit. So the two main ones were revamping the exam prep for the TSAC F. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because the, the one right now is, is the information's fine. It's just outdated in terms of format. And so we really wanted to upgrade that. Um, and then the second is what is currently called the practitioner course. Um, we were renaming it. I don't know if it actually, it's probably not renamed yet, but we're renaming it the tactical strength and conditioning course. And 
making it just how do I, it's it's tough to say but creating flexibility through structure which sounds a little bit um like ironic but the idea being that the course is incredible because it is taught by incredible people and what we wanted to do was put more power in the hands of the instructors and give them more room to operate and more room to flex to the people on the ground so reflecting back to my coaching philosophy for example you have to account for who you're coaching and where they're trying to get to and so we wanted to put those instructors in a position where they could get there see the lay of the land and make decisions based on that and then again accounting for reality so what do they have with regard to you know scheduling and staff and equipment and experience and all of those kind of things so what is their reality um and so we're just recreating that course and then kind of up up branding it just so it looks more attractive and those kind of things um to be more competitive in the space. So those were two specific things that we were working on um, with a lot of, with some other stuff that I'm not gonna say because mm -hmm. I'm hoping they still develop it and I don't wanna like overshare, I guess. Um, but what the ultimate plan was, so myself and uh, Matt Thompson, who I mentioned earlier was replaced by a gal named Mandy Nice. Have you had Mandy on? No, not yet, not yet. Okay, she is. She is the hardest working person I think I've ever worked with, um, which is saying something given some of the places I've been, but um, she's a phenomenal, phenomenal, you know, particularly in the law enforcement side of the house, but she's an absolute, absolute workhorse. So Mandy's idea, um, and really I, I will give credit to her, was if you kind of took a graph with an X and Y axis, and if on one axis was um, somebody's willingness to change, Right. And on the other axis was somebody's monetary power for, you know, or their resources available. Um, wherever those two things intersect when you're evaluating somewhere, you should have a solution. And so for the department who has all the resources in the world and really, really want to make big change, we should say, okay, you start here and then still have a continuum for them. For the folks who have no money but really want to make a change, then the NSCA should have a solution there. And what's great is since we are mission driven, not profit driven, and you can tell that I still love it because I still say we, but, um, you know, since we're mission driven, not profit driven, we can create resources, even if they're not necessarily creating direct revenue. And so that was sort of what we were working to do was have this matrix and then have a way to objectively evaluate, say, a police or fire department that you're working with, and then start to create a continuum of solutions for them. Um, because not everybody is the POTIF. Not everybody already has a whole human performance staff that can figure it out themselves that don't, you know, those folks are more contributing to the NSCA mm -hmm. than they are pulling from the NSCA um, versus somewhere where the, you know, fitness lead is a firefighter with a personal training certification. And so they're going to need very, very different resources. No, that's cool, dude. I mean, it's interesting to hear that as well, like trying to get that balance between, you know, financially been able to run a program but also their willingness to change and obviously everyone has their own opinions and views especially within this space as well and there's a lot of history as well within different departments too so like what what would you say like from your um your perspective for being involved within this field for such a long period of time how, how have you seen like training and um that willingness to change evolve over time within these departments I mean, it's, it's definitely on a major upswing. Um, mm -hmm. I think the, the cleanest example is, so the International Association of Chiefs of Police have a giant symposium or giant convention every year. And I actually just learned about this with NSCA because I'm certainly more military biased. So um, they used to have a, like a component of it that was for officer safety and wellness. And then they branched off, I wanna say three, four years ago into their own event. When they branched off into their own event, so there's kind of upgrade number one, um, and they sold it out. And I wanna say somewhere around 300 people. And so then the next year they upped it to like 500, sold it out. The next year they upped it to like 750, sold it out. And so, and months and months in advance. And I, I was able to attend last year in Miami. Uh, it was actually just prior to, to COVID really being, um, a common, you know, thing holding us back here, but yeah. 
it was, it was one, an incredible event with a lot of great, great practitioners. Um, but two, just to see a community that, like you said, I think has been so rooted in tradition and so unwilling to change. I know those are my words, so let me put those in your mouth, but um, particularly law enforcement and, you know, start to really like these are the leadership within law enforcement showing up to this event, trying to figure out ways to make change in their department with regard to you know, health and wellness. And then this year, I think it was only hosted virtually, but I know that they had over a thousand attendees. Um, so again, you know, continuing to, to increase in popularity. And so I think that really speaks a lot to kind of where things are going. Now, same token, it, there, there are equally as many things that are, I, there, nothing's moving in the opposite direction, um, but stuff that we take for granted as professionals in the human performance space, it just amazes me that we're still convincing other folks that they work. And a lot of places that have even demonstrated high levels of success have asked for more. So a great example, and I won't say specifically, although somebody might've already shared it on your podcast, um, there's a department that hired an athletic trainer and she has shown something to, along the lines of a six to one return on investment one single person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she has asked for a, a strength conditioning professional to come on staff, one, to reduce the amount of flow into her uh, care, and two, to continue like preventative care once somebody has been um, treated by her. And so really to work both sides of, of the house and um, arguably save them even more money. Um, and the department has been unwilling to hire somebody full time. And so same thing. It's like this person literally just saved you uh, her cost sixfold, and you won't agree to bring on, you know, a second professional. Um, and so, you know, stories like that are common and they just blow my mind. Um, how the big army is handling um, the holistic health and fitness contract here in the States is, is absolutely abysmal. Um, and I'm really scared for the future of it, which is terrible because I think if we talked a year ago, I would have told you how excited I was for it. Um, but look, we're 10 years plus into POTIF and, and as much momentum has been gained, it's, it's slow, it's slow. And, and they went all in on that with, with great professionals and a whole lot of, of resources behind them. Um, my biggest fear with, with big army is that they're not going to commit for the duration needed. You know, I think they're just trying to dip their toes in the water and it, look, you gotta go, you gotta say, this is a 20 year initiative. Yeah. And I mean, with regards to big army, then do you mean just with regards to the sport they put around the guys? You're talking more about like, um, I don't know, you guys have changed your, well, the, I don't know if it's still referred to as the PFT sort of thing, but obviously how they've changed out to have more strength elements within that as well. Yeah, well, so ACFT is a great step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's certainly some tail wagging the dog. Um, because we put, throw the test out there, but that's kind of the way the army works. So that doesn't honestly upset me too much. Um, they certainly made the, the test considerably more, uh, logistically intensive than I think it needed to be. But that said, they're already backing off on some of the standards taken out, you know, for, I think it just came out today that you can, um, the, the plank is a legitimate substitute for the leg tuck, for example, mm -hmm. uh, before the plank just got you passing. And now the plank is, actually going to be graded all the way up, I think, to a scale of, you know, a perfect score on that event. Um, and so part of the Army's issue is it's, it's lack of accountability. It's a culture that doesn't appreciate physicality. And you can't solve that, right, by way of throwing money at it. Mm -hmm. And even putting these human performance staffs in place is only going to be so effective because you still need leadership to support it. You still need to evolve the culture. Uh, a great example, great, great example is uh, one of the National Guard states, and it, you know, it's, it's not going to be a secret because it's all over media, but um, one of the National Guard states invested a good amount of money in an app. And that was their solution. The problem is that solution assumes that the reason that their people are failing physically is because they don't know how to train. But it's really that they don't care to train. There's no motivation to train. There's no 
punishment if they don't. And so that app has somewhere in the single digit usership. Wow. Single digit usership. And so Across again, it's not a lack of information. It's a lack of people who actually care to access it. And they started looking at other solutions. These other solutions are absurdly expensive and the same thing. They're all focused on the X's and O's. None of them are focused on the human component. Like, hey, let's figure out how to build a culture that appreciates physicality. Because if you don't, it doesn't matter how great the program is you put in front of someone. Quite frankly, the training age of the military at large, in particular, the National Guard, is absurdly low. And it does not take much to move the needle at all. <laughs> we don't need perfect programming. We need people who are willing to invest in it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's interesting to hear. It's surprising to hear as well, but it's just like, um, yeah, like you can put the best program in place, but unless people are willing to invest and buy into that program, you know, you're just going to be banging your head against the wall for a lot of that sort of thing as well. And I think like you mentioned there as well, mate, we as like professionals take it for granted as well because we know the benefit it can bring. But until you convince that wider population group what can happen from it, you know, you're never going to make those inroads. So that's interesting, mate. That is really interesting. I'll say this, I presented the other day for a, a killer organization and somebody at the end asked me a question and I feel like it might have been a setup because uh, it was an old boss of mine, but they, they asked, you know, if I thought that there was any methodology that was dangerous, basically, for the military to be doing. And my answer is no, because I don't think any methodology is inherently dangerous. But the other thing to consider is the methodology that they're probably trying to, uh, you know, bait me into addressing to me has done a lot for the culture of strength and conditioning in terms uh -huh. of saying, hey, let's not get people afraid to work hard, work in the community, get under a barbell and establish a little bit of discomfort. And so to me, again, it doesn't need to be perfect. It's better than nothing. And nothing is what people, you know, some people were doing prior to. So I will take that step in the right direction, even if as a strength conditioning coach, I wouldn't necessarily bless off on all the X's and O's of every session. Yeah, yeah. And obviously reading between the lines there, I'm guessing you're talking a little bit about CrossFit within that sort of aspect as well. And I'd agree with you wholeheartedly on it, Nate, as well. It's just like when when CrossFit first came about, like as a coach, I was one of the, the biggest attractors from it. I was like, what is this nonsense, you know, high rep Olympic lifting and stuff like that. But over time I've come around to it and be like, well, there's bad coaching anywhere you go, you know. It doesn't matter if it's in CrossFit gyms, if it's in my strength conditioning facility, wherever you go, there's bad coaching. But it's just like yes. you said there, it's just like community, you know, big community factor of guys getting behind each other, the process of hard work, one to come in and train together, and obviously exposure to multiple modalities many people wouldn't access usually. Like how many people who lift weights would be interested in conditioning or gymnastics? Very few, you know. Yep. And other side of the house, like you said, guys who are endurance-based, generally don't want to lift so it's just like yeah. it's bridge that gap massively as well and like you say it's not bad it's just how it's coached and i found that like removed from this but like in youth sports everyone like here in the uk anyway it's just like well you know can't get young kids into any sort of structured strength condition work unless they're 16 and you know to this day i've met a medical doctor anyone who could tell me what magically happens between like age 15, age 16, you know, overnight on their birthday, you know, nothing. Yeah. And it's just like, it's not dangerous. It's such as how it's coached is what's dangerous. So. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, you know, what you'd like to see is more coaches look to positively influence rather than like, Hey, I stake my flag here. You stake your flag there. And then we argue in the middle. And it, yeah. it's like the, the more we'd be willing to lend you know, some expertise to what's already happening, I think we'd all be in a better position for it. So I, I always try to stay clear of any of the absolutism. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying now as well, man, like rather than just jumping into that initial human emotion of like, oh, well, I don't agree with this. It's like take a step back and look like rather objectively and be like, okay, what are the good factors in this rather than come straight away in with the boot being like, all right, this is rubbish, you know? What can I get from mm -hmm. this, you know? Well, it's in, you know, I always, variety is, is the sake of, or the, is the spice of mediocrity is what I like to say. Um, but then I, you know, and, and I used to say that in a negative way. And then I thought about it and I was like, you know, mediocrity is kind of exactly what we're looking to achieve in tactical. 
Like we want somebody who's 70% in everything as opposed to 50% in their aerobic capacity and 110% on strength. Like we'll actually take 70 across the board any day. And the other thing is we're trying to bring the bottom up. So we're not worried about the person who's doing imperfect. We're worried about the person who's just not doing. Yep. Or the other extreme, the person that do, that is that is going so, so hard, right? That they're experiencing injury. And so I think you had those two extremes, certainly. Um, but we have to be careful how much we cater to those. When we're really just trying to like, you know, if you move the whole force 1%, that's massive. That's massive. Definitely, man. Now, obviously one of the big things I wanted to chat to you about and get you on, Nate, it was just obviously you mentioned in the introduction, the, the work you've just picked up and you're working with FitOps now, obviously contacted during your later stages of your career at NCA for that to get come on board. What's it been like making the move over to the FitOps Foundation and what's, what's your job role over there currently? So I am, uh, it's, it's the worst job title for me ever and I gave it to myself so I have no one else to blame. Uh, Director of Education mm -hmm. is currently what, I, what I'm doing. Um, you know, the, the job is phenomenal. We have an awesome, awesome team. Um, in particular, you know, there's, there's two folks that I work with quite a bit who just are very, very good at their craft and their crafts are very different than mine. One works in the marketing side of the house and the other, you know, which really showed me that I am far removed from, from anything reasonably intelligent on the marketing side. And the other works uh, more in both mental health and cognitive performance. And so being exposed to them has really um, extended my abilities in, the, in those sides, but at the same time also kind of let me know where I'm at. So Day to day, I'm developing some of the new kind of educational upgrades uh, in a very similar way to some of the things that I was working with at the NSCA. Um, you know, we, in our, in our purest um, foundational offering, for example, what we have are, you know, we accept veterans to come on camp. Prior to camp, they experience a, a pre-study of sorts for a personal training exam. Um, the idea being that on camp, we do a little bit more of a qualification and then they, they take an exam at the end of, end of camp and it kind of ends. So that, that's sort of how it has existed in, in the past. And one of the major things I talked to, with Matt about from the, from the start was, hey, let's be a little uh, one certification agnostic. So in other words, let's just teach good information that's transferable to a variety of places that they might want to go. Um, and then two, let's use the time on camp to truly qualify them because it's one thing to say you qualify someone, but then when you actually look at the curriculum and it's really just exam prep, um, we needed to, to improve that. And so, you know, uh, forgive my language, but the way I put it now is that being on camp is sort of teaching them the no shit, what you need to know to coach your way out of a paper bag. And so really spending a lot of time on hands-on assessment program design, art of coaching, interacting in real life, putting them in positions as coaches. Um, but most importantly, that's actually combined with a, a whole, uh, a truly holistic element of um, emotional well-being and uh, physicality and, you know, intellectual um, understanding and then spirituality as well. And so kind of the idea of like, not just saying it's holistic, but truly making it holistic and creating a flow on camp where all those things kind of continue to reinforce each other. So, you know, in its, in its simplest fashion, it's this is we're working on a, a pre-study that we will host, whereas in the past it's been create it's been hosted by a cert certifying body. Um, it is, it, it, lends itself to a variety of certifications is basically just scientific foundations. They'll complete that on their own as a way to kind of punch their ticket to camp. Once on camp, we'll reinforce a lot of that stuff and we will focus still because we do want them to pass an exam at the end of the camp, but we've extended the length of camp. So we're looking at probably three weeks instead of two. And there is a lot of hands-on floor time and a lot of development of the intangibles. And so the idea being this, that some people are going to come to camp and they're going to leave and never use anything we ever taught them from a personal training perspective. Some people are going to train 
as a way to make money while they go to school and do something else. Some are going to launch into a career of human performance, whether that's as a strength conditioning coach, uh, dietitian, mental performance, wherever, whatever they want to do with it, right? And so there's kind of all these different levels of folks. What we want is for all of those people to get something out of camp. So if you leave and you never use that certification at all, what else did we provide you that you can still take with you? And so, um, you know, courses on resume building and uh, how to interview, um, the idea that the person is a brand. So how to represent yourself as a brand. And then if you were to create a business, how do you lend yourself as a brand to what that business becomes? Um, you know, social media essentials, stuff like that. So there, and then beyond any of that, um, most important is self-care. And so we're actually trying to create better humans because that's the other thing is it's, you know, look, we've got one meat grinder. We just do, it's one camp, but the type of meat coming in, right? Each person is totally different. And so the meat going out is going to be totally different, but we just want to make sure all of it is a better version than it was when it came in. And so for some, they're going to go there and I think they're going to experience some personal healing. And I think they're going to, they're going to walk out the other side, a better human. Others might walk out ready to make other people better humans, right? They'll truly be ready to become a coach. But again, the idea being, look, we're not looking for that person who is like, yeah, strength conditioning is my life. I want to be a strength conditioning coach um, because that's, that's just sort of the medium that we use to improve people as humans. But that human improvement component is by far the most important. And it's also the part that, quite frankly, I know the least about. And so I lean heavily on, you know, Johnny Martin, who's our director of aftercare, um, who's cognitive and mental uh, performance and health expert, um, as well as a good amount of outside resources. And certainly a lot of the folks, for example, that you've had on um, this podcast are definitely uh, on my on my speed dial. And, I, and you know, I, I know what I don't know, and I'm always willing to reach out and, and get some advice. That's really awesome, dude. And I mean, it sounds like a great uh, education certification program for guys. I think it is very much aimed at the guys that transition and veterans out of the, the military into more of the civilian sector as well. Um, I really like the fact, one, you, you really push the practical side as well, because I typically find like with most certifications, they're very much academic heavy. And then, like you say, when they get put in front of a person, like a real life client, they just shit the bed. They're just like, I have no idea how to interact with this person how to gain yep. common ground, you know, or quickly problem solve on the fly. Uh, so that's really, really interesting. I like the fact as well, you guys cover the business side as well. I like really pushing that, but Brandon, how do you work with social media? You know, how do you set yourself up effectively as well? Which I think once again, with most certifications, they teach you very much that the technical side, like how to be a good technician, but not how to yep. be a good uh, entrepreneurial businessman sort of thing as well. So that's really, really cool. Yeah, I have to say, you know, when I started this, I started looking into all the different personal training certifications. I believe there's 30 something that are, you know, accredited at the same level, and if not more, and almost all of them just focus so heavily on the exercise science and so little on the practical component. And it, it was really extremely disappointing because um, I would love to find one that totally aligns, you know, but, but same token, I think what you got to realize is, you know, a certification is just that, right? It's, it's something that says like, hey, I'm allowed to do this. Mm -hmm. It's not something that says like, I truly know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> and so, you know, our goal is when we, when folks leave there, that we actually feel comfortable and confident that they, they can be a presence on the floor. And of course, they're not going to be perfect. This is, we're talking 21 days, you know, um, even your best candidate is only going to get so good. And a big part of it too, for example, the business side is, look, we're not going to show you how to balance your books, but we're going to show you one, that it's valuable to do so. And two, what assets are out there that you can take advantage of in order to do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and same thing on the training side of the house is like, we want to let them know what, like, yeah, we're going to teach them some things, but we're going to also let them know this is the beginning of a long journey. And so if you want to continue on this journey, one, we will provide resources that extend beyond when you leave camp. And I think that's extremely important to mention is that 
we're trying to create a community that doesn't just go out and disappear. And hopefully too, we bring some back to give back, whether they're squad leaders on camp, whether they're contributing within our learning management system, um, you know, or whether they're they're coming back to work for FitOps in the future full-time or something along those lines. So we definitely want this to, to continue. And the other thing is there's gonna be stuff that we're not the answer. You know, if somebody might come and say, man, I really wanna do this, what do you guys offer? And, and for me, what I owe them is, you know, a one phone call to one person to get them what they need and want. You know, if, if they're looking for, hey, I want to, you know, pursue a doctorate and I'd love to do some research in whatever. Well, I am not your guy. Again, my title's education and it's only because I gave it to myself. I've got two online degrees, but I've also got, you know, Rob Orr and Josh Hagen and Monique Bedoin and whoever else on speed dial. So I'm more than happy to reach out on their behalf and continually find a way to support them in their journey. No, that's cool, dude. And I mean, it looks like you're doing some great, great things there. And what, what's the, the future then for FitOps? You know, what, what's the end goal? What's this going to look like in the next five years of growth sort of thing? Yeah, well, first order business is for us to get camps going again. Um, <laughs> which is, is pretty much COVID dependent. Um, you know, there's a lot of, right now behind the scenes, we're just building so much great infrastructure um, in, in, in real life in 3D and in the virtual world that I kind of tend to live in right now. Um, and so I, I think you're gonna see, you know, just some massive upgrades with regard to the program. I would say from start to finish, but the hope is that there really is no finish. Um, you know. I think what, we'll, what you'll start to see is hopefully us use what we have right now as kind of our cornerstone and find ways to, you know, support the, the veteran community extensively, whether that's by way of, of partnering with, with folks who are great at what they do, um, or if that's us building it out ourselves, um, you know, whichever way makes sense. Um, for me, I, you know, you'd I'd say you have to ask Matt because Matt, is, is definitely um, has a big picture mindset and is always very future focused. Um, I kind of right now tend to live in the now because I think I have to, because I have a lot of things to generate to start to realize some of what we, we can and should be. Um, so he's probably your better guy to ask about the five year. Um, but what I will say is we certainly will be almost unrecognizable, I think in a good way um, while keeping the essence of what we've always been, which is an organization who wants to empower veterans, provide them renewed purpose, and we just happen to be doing that by way of fitness. That's cool. That's really cool to hear. And I think it'll be great to see as well as you know, time passes by and how that continues to grow as well. Um, one question I always ask everyone who comes on the show, Nate, I'm quite interested to hear your one being the director of education that you are. Um, you know, what, what do you engage in for your own development? So I always ask everyone for either a book, an app, or website recommendation for educational personal development. Okay, so um, if I had to recommend one book, I'll give you two. Can I give you two books? Oh, you can give me that as nice as you want, buddy. <laughs> we'll, we'll, stick, we'll stick to two. Carefully, I am not known for brevity. I'll give you a, a laundry <laughs> list of books, but my personal top two that I tend to recommend to everybody are one, uh, Talk Like Ted. So it's basically a summary of, of TED Talks and what makes uh, for a great TED Talk. And mm -hmm. it, if you read that and take it to heart, it will absolutely revolutionize your ability to present and your effectiveness in presenting. It has been an absolute game changer for me. Um, and then two is a little bit different uh, is a book called Spy the Lie. And I will, uh, that one comes with a little bit of a warning, which is if you read it and, and deliberately, so with putting in a little bit of practice as you do so, just know that you are going to A, realize how bad of a liar you are, no matter how good you thought you were, and B, start knowing when everybody's lying all the time, even in text messages. Ah, really? Yes. Yes. So it can be helpful though, when you're, um, you know, don't use it maliciously. Um, but when you're engaging with your athletes or your operators or whoever it is that you work with, 
Um, not because you're looking to expose them in a lie, but, but you can start to get it. The, again, the reality that I mentioned earlier, I think is so important. And, um, you know, you start to peel away what they want you to know versus what's actually true. And that can give you a lot of value as a coach in, in how you approach them, uh, both from a relationship standpoint and a programming standpoint. Uh, so extremely, extremely valuable in that regard. But it is a powerful book. <laughs> that is cool. Well, definitely I'll stick them in our show notes so everyone can access uh, links to them. That is awesome. Um, obviously being super, super inf- uh, interesting, John to Nate, you know, got a ton of great information from you. And I think anyone listening to this is going to benefit from this, uh, this episode. For anyone who's listening and wants to reach out or find out a little bit more about you, Nate, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, so probably best um, is to email me. And I'm, I'm more than willing to throw my email out there. I'm going to throw a, a non-fit ops just because it, it helps me. And then if they are if they come in more on the fit ops side of the house, I'll steer them that direction, cool. uh, which is just natepalin at gmail.com. Cool. Super, super easy to remember. Um, you know, if, if they want uh, a very random... Uh, sprinkling of my life, which sometimes comes with insightful human performance tidbits, sometimes uh, heavy opinions, and very often photos of my kiddo on a scooter, um, at Nate Palin on Instagram. I'm pretty active on there, particularly in the stories. And um, those are probably the two two best ways if, if for some reason on the planet somebody wants more of me. <laughs> No, that's awesome, mate. I appreciate that, mate. I'll stick them in our show notes along with your, your two books recommendations as well, mate. Obviously, mate, thank you so much, mate. It's been great to actually finally sit down and chat to you for a bit, mate. It's been something I've been looking forward to for a while, dude. Hey, no, thank you very much. And I mean, this was it was me flooding you. So, uh, John, I would love for you and I to just set up a call sometime and just chat and for me to actually ask you some questions, get to know you a little bit better, if you don't mind. Man, yep. Let me know, mate. I'll, I'll make room in my calendar easily for that. Perfect. Sounds good. I'll, I'll shoot you an email. We'll set something up. Sweet. Sweet. Cool. Thanks a lot, Nick. Thank you. Hi, guys. Really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I just wanted to say thank you for your continued support to the show. We're slowly growing each week and getting more and more downloads, which is truly incredible for such a niche-specific podcast. The continued support us can ask you to do me a simple favor. First of all, Subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're using so you can receive each new episode as soon as it's released. Secondly, if you found something educational, if it made you see a different perspective, or if you took something away from this podcast that made you better, please leave us a review as it means a lot to me, and please share the show. This will help us to grow the show and really get this information out to a lot more people.